Welcome back, friends, to Music Therapy and Beyond. I'm Kristen with you again this week to start off the month of June with what we like to call around here our research teaching moment. The first week of each month is devoted to literature and learning. Now I'm going to give you a little backstory here on why we actually use different segments here at Music Therapy and Beyond. Our different segments each week were developed from our staffing structure that we use weekly at our team meetings here at Giving Song, where we begin with an inspiration moment followed by wellness, music, and then we finish with a research and teaching moment. Each staff member is assigned a different moment each week to bring in and share, and that can be anything, I mean, within those different segments that the therapist feels is going to be beneficial both for them to share and for us to hear. We really like this structure and so we decided to bring it to the podcast. Our mission for this podcast is of course to share information to about music therapy and to support our music therapy profession both the continuing education and conversations with music therapy clinicians. But also at the same time, we wanted to ensure that the podcast was part of our continuing education and adding to our overall health and wellness as clinicians. So this is a little backstory of why we have different segments each week. The first week of each month is devoted to research and learning. The second is focused on clinical practice, the third on wellness, and the fourth on music. And those special months where we have a fifth week We call those our special fifth, where we bring in really anything and everything for just something a little bit different and a little bit special. Now, if you listen to our last podcast, which did happen to be a special fifth, um, it was episode 22, you know that we invited Elizabeth Shane to the podcast. Um, She's a board-certified music therapist, and she joined us to begin the discussion on trauma stewardship, which is such an important topic, and we can't wait to dig further into it. We also announced that she will be joining our team on the podcast and our practice here in Columbia, Missouri. We are beyond thrilled that she is joining us and you will be hearing from her again soon. Now, today we are going to go ahead and jump right into an article review after this very brief music break. We are going to jump into this article today. It's from the most recent issue of Music Therapy Perspectives. The article, Playing with Chaos, Broadening Possibilities for How Music Therapists Consider Chaos in Group Work with Young People, was written by Helen Ustazen and Katrina McFerrin, both from the University of Melbourne in Australia. Helen is a music therapist in South Africa and a PhD researcher. She is also the editor of Voices, a World Forum of Music Therapy. Dr. Katrina McFerrin is the professor of music therapy at the University of Melbourne, where she is an active researcher and practitioner working with young people. She is also the publisher of the book Adolescence, Music and Music Therapy, and the creator of the online course How Music Can Change Your Life through Coursera. Dr. McFerrin also has a lovely TEDx talk entitled Returning from the Dark Side of Music that is absolutely worth a listen. 
So this article looks at the literature in music therapy and other disciplines, including philosophy, drama therapy, group psychotherapy, and others, to look at the use of the word chaos in regards to group therapy, specifically with young people. Now, as music therapists, I would say we often see what we would call chaos in groups. Um, in addition, uh, I think others looking into our therapy sessions may also describe what they are seeing as chaos. For instance, I actually had this come up in a discussion following a presentation I offered where we were sitting down with support coordinators for families in the foster care system. They specifically noted that, you know, what they would think that the, with the music instruments and just the sound, because we did kind of an example of, you know, making music, live music with them, that it would create chaos with their, their families. And they asked specifically, you know, how we would address that and really if we expected to see that in the group setting at all. And of course, yes, we had a really wonderful conversation with them. And in a room full of support coordinators and play therapists, we were all on the same page that there is definitely potential for what we would call in quotes chaos within certain families and events with children in the foster care system. This article looks directly at current research, which they detail just beautifully, and I highly encourage you to read the article. And I'm honestly a sucker for a good lit review, so um, it was just beautifully done. They begin by contrasting what, in quotes, magical moments in music therapy with experiences of, in quotes, chaos. Magical moments being times of optimal music flow and coherence where identities of illness and marginalization, etc. are dissolved in the interest of being people together in music. This is our ideal image or picture of what, in quotes, music therapy is. We all have the image of what an ideal peaceful group therapy looks like. I think often this is what we see when we think, oh, this is what I'm going to do as a music therapist. In contrast, they identify chaos, which that makes looks like feeling noisy or messy, confusing, lacking flow, coherence, or togetherness within live music making. I'm going to also bet that many of you listening also know what this image looks like and feels like. The article notes that group therapists or facilitators for many different disciplines feel despondent empty, feelings of incompetence and lack of creativity, failure, helplessness, fear, and other emotions following such chaotic moments within a therapy session. I remember this well, specifically in my early years of practicing and facilitating groups that felt much more chaotic than my, in my mind than what I thought therapeutic was, and I certainly felt these emotions that they mentioned in the article. I've also observed these emotions come up as I'm supervising interns and employees. There are certainly times when in the middle of these chaos and we have room for growth and learning, absolutely in those moments. But I really appreciated this article because they address the inherent chaotic nature of the group therapy with young people specifically, directly and from multiple perspectives. The article continues to dig deep into the nature of groups with young people, especially those young people whose lives are chaotic in nature. One such study by Helen Utsazen in 2019 makes the suggestion that chaotic moments could be a resource that enables the transformation of groups. The rest of this article walks through different ways to conceptualize chaos and supports the case for it being chaos as a valuable resource within music therapy groups. 
According to the psychoanalyst Nitsen in their article 1996, proposed that chaotic experiences appear to be an intrinsic part of therapy groups and likely emerges through complex interactions between group members. Such behaviors may be more destructive in nature and be emotionally charged and even aggressive and may lead to withdrawal as well. They go on to mention that chaos can be embodied within and or accentuated through engagement with music. I certainly agree with this finding and observe this, especially in our group populations where we have a combination of young people in the midst of pervasive trauma who also have differing levels of sensory deficits. The combo of sensory deficits with trauma within groups is a whole other podcast segment we will get to at another time. The authors of this specific article use the example of young people in South Africa. And in this scenario, they identify that chaos is an inherent part of the context and culture they live in and includes divides between poverty and wealth, diverse cultures, race identities, colonial and post-colonial constructs, normalized criminal violence, as well as the disparity between black people and white people as specifically being part of the continual dehumanization of individuals and groups of individuals. All of this leads to an environment that is unstable and chaotic in nature. I think that we can resonate with this scenario um, often in the work that we do here in the States as well. They continue to offer that, in quotes, the use of music making within group settings potentially presents a means through which these young people can express this chaos, end quotes. For this population, music is embedded and embodied in their culture, history, and context. Many of us will not be surprised by how they use music to express emotions, voice their stories, find affirmation, and as a way to resist establishments that control their lives. Music can be used to strengthen connections or accentuate disconnections. So now we're going to look at how the literature identifies, addresses, and observes chaos within groups. Um, Most of the literature looks at it as a behavior strategy to manage rather than the potential for engaging chaos as a resource. So first, it's either either unconsidered or problematic. Um, So for example, um, in some literature, they reported utilizing staff members to help monitor groups, setting strict rules regarding music allowed in sessions, and the exclusion of those group members who behaved inappropriately. In addition, it was proposed that music therapists may also feel pressured from what um, they presume other allied professionals value and their opinion of their work. I think that's a big one to um, acknowledge. In other examples, chaos is approached as being problematic and described as negative emotions, dangerous behaviors, sadness, anger, aggression, tension, and violence. And in some instances, you know, the behavior was posed as a real risk, um, safety risk, so such behaviors needed to be addressed through behavior management strategies to instill discipline and control. That's some of the other terminology that was used. They also suggest that music therapists may be pressured to align their work with behavioral models in different facilities. I know personally I see this often. Lots of different facilities have different behavior codes and um, strategies that they would like us to use in the therapy session. 
Um, such goals that may look at chaotic behavior as a problem are focused on modifying, structuring, transforming chaotic emotions into ordered. Um, other goals may also be to decrease resistance or aggressive behavior, um, mending disruptions between people, etc. The authors conclude that many with this view of chaos, in quotes, felt that groups had to work through and resolve chaos to support group growth, end quote. Now, coming from a cognitive behavioral background during my training, I frequently saw these goals in and around, you know, in the general perspective to use music to structure and decrease negative behaviors. So up until now, we have discussed behaviors and chaos as either either being unconsidered or viewed as problematic requiring behavior strategies. Now let's look at chaos as a challenge requiring resolution. The authors of the article refer to the psychotherapist Yalam in the 2005 article, which argued that the conflict may be the most significant part of the therapy process, wherein the group needed to work through the conflict to reach maturity in the group. In this example, music making would be used to enhance cohesion and the resolution of conflict, specifically the resolution of the conflict. Some music therapists suggest that when emotions, for example, aggression, are validated and heard, participants begin to explore alternative ways of engaging. In this example, expressing anger may not only be a healthy emotion and healthy um, expression, but a therapeutic goal to move towards. And as we take all of the literature into account, the author suggests that we look at a different approach, a paradoxical approach, they call it, to chaos that challenges and broadens common approaches to music therapy groups for young people. The whole idea here is that order is necessary for the group to feel safe, but without moments of chaos, therapy cannot progress. So if you've listened to any trauma-informed um, episodes that we've done or um, done your own training or your own um, search in for that. We know that order is important. It's consistency, predictability, especially for populations who are in or have had trauma in their background. But without moments of chaos, therapy cannot progress. I would say that we see this often in therapy and in our practice and know for instance, that the therapeutic relationship and process are on the right track when we start to see just a little bit of chaos. We see it in both our individual and our group settings. Let's take, for instance, a family who comes to us and reports that we're working with their child, let's say, who is showing unregulated behaviors, aggression, and other behaviors that are preventing them to fully, um, fully thrive in their home and at school. But let's say we only see regulated behaviors from this child. The child doesn't uh, push boundaries. The child doesn't uh, follow rules. We know that we're not quite there. We're not quite there in that therapeutic relationship because it's, it's not quite enough safety for that, that child to really show us their full self. And that's what we want to support. And I think that that is the... the thought that I see the way I view this order is necessary for the group to feel safe. We've created enough structure, enough predictability, the child feels safe. But, you know, if we're not seeing 
those behaviors, if we're not observing them, then we can't address them because we're not experiencing them. They're not showing up in the therapy session. So we want to see that sort of chaos so that we can then address it and we can give them support so that they can then either move past them or we can move through them, whatever that looks like for that that client. So I definitely resonated with this aspect of needing order, but also recognizing that moments of chaos can be very important for the therapeutic process. In their response of the literature, the authors suggest this idea that even if you ignore, problematize, resolve, or even validate the chaos, but fail to hold that ongoing tension that happens between creative and destruction, like the destructive, that, um, that chaos, the tension in, that, in the middle, that we might actually be limiting the therapeutic potential through that relationship. So the importance is really in that mo- those moment and space of tension and ensuring that we're holding that within our therapy sessions. They continue to describe that art in itself is chaotic and involves some degree of destruction to build and create something new. In the like, music incorporates elements of tension and resolution. The author suggests that, in quotes, once invited and contained, chaos can be playfully explored in groups, end quote. I'm actually going to say that again. Once invited and contained, chaos can be playfully explored in groups. So Utzazen and McFerrin continue to describe that this relationship of inviting chaos as potentially a vital part of the process In this, for example, the therapist may need to take on the observer role rather than a directive role. In this, the therapist remains attentive, of course, to the the group experiences that might jeopardize the safety or the capacity of group members to cope with this chaos, while also welcoming or even instigating chaos into a group as is appropriate. By focusing on group connection while also holding space for that tension, this arises and creates this sort of group microcosm for practicing the uncomfortable and chaotic nature of everyday life, which may provide a space for building resilience and transformation. I just absolutely love this whole idea that by creating a container and a space that is safe, we can actually, but also welcoming that chaotic nature, we can actually practice and build resilience and transformation potentially in this space that then can generalize outside. I mean, we see this in even a child working with speech on a speech goal. We want them to work on it outside. The whole idea is for them not to just do it in music, but to do it outside at home and at school. And so creating a space or, you know, we might actually go to those spaces and have parents practice and it might look a little bit different. But the whole idea is that we want to generalize this behavior outside. We want to generalize these skills outside of the therapy session. So I think this is... um, a great way in a group to do that and I just love that they have come to this conclusion in their work and through the literature. 
As we wrap up this article review, the authors do make specific mention about the necessity for containing chaos. This is often done by the therapist and their presence, um, clear group boundaries as well. Now, we know that boundaries are essential for young people, and it helps them to become familiar with the purpose and the process of groups, expectations, possibilities, and limitations of themselves and others. Boundaries also enable the group to begin to build an identity, to know who is in the group and who is not in the group. Boundaries also allow group members to know the therapist and how they will respond in their behavior. So all of that predictability and consistency we've talked about in previous podcasts. Just as with art and a frame in art or a canvas, boundaries are offer a container for the experience. I want to say that again. Just as with art, boundaries offer a container for the experience. The same can be said for the structure of music. Now, finally, let's talk just a moment about play and chaos. Play is also essential to the process for young people. It assists them in exploring possibilities and challenges their society and perceived notions in search of new ideals for their lives. Play is so important. For example, within the music therapy session, a music therapist may support playing instead of by redirecting or resolving a conflict, but by showing maybe a group member how to play the instrument or role-playing different ways of participating in the group. A focus on play is to integrate different perspectives as a path towards building resilience. I'm going to say that again because I just love that. A focus of play is to integrate different perspectives as a path towards building resilience. The authors, I think, present this really beautiful approach that bridges a gap in our literature and really puts a name to what I think a lot of us see in our groups and encourages us to hold that tension and to look at that space between order and chaos as being a really important space to not only unleash creativity but for active growth that will help to generalize outside of the therapy session. Now I want to leave you with a final quote from the authors uh, that came from the article. In quotes, it is possible that these young people are more familiar and comfortable with chaos than we are as music therapists. It may then be counterintuitive to attempt to eliminate chaos so that we can experience ordered, highly structured groups at odds with the environments to which young people return, end quote. I think that is incredibly powerful and I encourage you to read this article to think about this, to talk about it with your team um, and the other music therapists that you work with or the other staff members that you are on a team with. I think it's important to have be having these conversations and they did a really beautiful job um, in this article presenting it and providing us resources to dig even more into. So head on over to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com, and grab those show notes and that citation. And if you are an AMTA member, you have access through your member portal to Music Therapy Perspectives and can grab that article on your own and read through it. So I encourage you to do so. 
Uh, please reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll see you next week for our clinical segment. Thank you for the work you do and all the places you do it. Bye, friends.